This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 246 with Danny J. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned in the episode and any discount codes from our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 246. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. couple notes before we dive into today's episode. First of all, this is a two-part episode. Yay! So much content in this episode that I knew actually before we even started recording, I was like, hey, Danny, do you think maybe we could go a little long and just break this into two episodes? Because I know there's so many things I want to touch on here. And she was so gracious with her time and said, yes, sure. Let's just talk and see where it takes us. So this is part one. Next week will be part two. Make sure you listen to the follow-up because the end of the story is so amazing and powerful. And I think that you all will really, really love to hear how it all came together and what Danny's life is like in the present. Also, this episode has been marked as explicit because of some of the content manner. There's sexual references in here and also a couple incidents of language. So just an FYI, if you have little ones around, throw in some earbuds if you want to protect them from some of these topics etc. So with all that said, let's go ahead and talk about our guest today, Danny J. Danny J is an award-winning entrepreneur, coach, podcast host, and storyteller. As the former founder of the Sweaty Betty's, an online fitness community, Danny J discovered the most effective method for capturing attention and increasing revenue, sharing personal and brand stories. Danny J's work can be heard weekly in her podcast, The Best Life Podcast, which I highly recommend. And you can follow her in real time on all social media platforms. As a real life example of truth is stranger than fiction, she uses her real Jerry Springer life stories to engage with her audience, teach life lessons, and inspire others to rewrite their stories. Danny J now teaches innovative brands and influencers to close more sales, become better leaders, and blow up their brands with the irresistible power of sharing. She also helps tens of thousands of families become debt-free by sharing her real life getting out of debt story and challenge hashtag find the money project. I have been following Danny on social media for a while now. And when I learned that she gave up a baby for adoption as a teen mom, I knew I wanted to ask her to come onto the show to be interviewed as a shameless mom. Danny's story is filled with trauma and heartache, but it ends in triumph and so much love and joy that she never could have anticipated as a young, desperate and clinically depressed woman. 
In this interview, we dive into Danny's childhood, which was deeply impacted by her family's religion, sexual abuse at the hands of her cousin, learning her biological father was actually a sperm donor, her serious eating disorder, her struggles with depression and ongoing suicidal ideation, and a pregnancy at age 15 that ultimately saved her life. So like I said, this is a two-part interview. So we will dive into a lot of things today and they will all be wrapped up next week. So you are going to want to listen in for both of these episodes for sure. Over the course of these two episodes, I will be talking to Danny and she will be sharing the following, how she had her baby at age 16 and how that saved her from her eating disorder, her depression and her suicidal thoughts, how giving up her baby actually gave her life purpose again how her grown daughter coached her on meeting her sperm donor biological father this last year, how opening all the doors in her biological family relationships has improved all of her relationships with her parents, and why she's a shameless mom, even though she didn't raise her daughter. So this episode is close to my heart just because I had kind of been stalking Danny and watching her story untold as she started sharing it in different ways on her own podcast and on social media. And everything she shared brought me to tears. So I was really, really honored when she said that she would come on the show. You might need a Kleenex or two to get through these two interviews this week and next week. But I also know that these stories are really going to open your minds and open your hearts in terms of how maybe you've seen things in the past in relation to adoption and maybe even abortion and maybe things that you've thought in terms of, you know, teenagers who deal with things like eating disorders and depression and suicidal ideation. There's a lot of heavy, heavy stuff here. But it's also a lot of opportunity for us to learn and grow and push ourselves and challenge ourselves in our own perspectives based on our own experiences. So I think you'll probably be able to connect with a lot more in this story than you might be able to anticipate right now. And I cannot wait to hear what you think about this episode. So with all that said, let's dive in with Danny J. Danny Johnson, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about the topics. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. So much to dig into. I'm very excited as well. And I have to tell people how I found you because I actually meant to tell you this in our pre-interview and I didn't. So let me yeah, just out myself as a stalker. And... <laughs> We're all stalkers, right? Like I we know. actually are all stalkers of somebody. So totally, okay. totally. I interviewed Jill Coleman early on in this podcast. And so I was a Jill mm-hmm. stalker. I still am. So I'm a total Jill fan. And in following her on social media, I started to see you with her all the time. And I'm like, so Jill has this like best friend, Danny J. They're always doing fun things together. Like, who is this chick? So then I start following you and a couple different things that you posted. I was like, oh, she seems really cool. And then you started getting really open and vulnerable about some very specific stories in your life. And I was like, okay, I have to know this woman. And so the two things that really stood out to me, you posted something about putting a baby up for adoption as a teenage mom. Mm -hmm. And right away I was like, I want to know this story. And then you talked about that you were born via a sperm donor. So you were raised by your mom and dad, but you were a product of a sperm donor. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to talk about this. And these are two huge topics that I never talked about on the podcast. And then you started a podcast and started talking about these things. And I was like, okay, she's sharing openly. Like I got to go and introduce myself and ask her to come share here. So that's how we got here today. And I'm so excited to have you here. And I appreciate your openness to this big conversations we're about to have. Uh, I love it. I'm glad that these are conversations we can have because you know what? These are both two huge pieces of my life that were secrets for years and years and years and years. And so just to finally be able to talk about some of them, and then in particular, the sperm donor one, I mean, that was a family secret for over 23 years. And it's something I actually never thought I would ever talk about. And so the last two years, so many things have shifted in my life. And it's been so crazy and like such a wild ride, but it's been the most amazing, I don't know, like we'll get into it for sure, but it's been the most amazing thing to be able to share and then find so many people who have similar experiences, you know, whether it comes from adoption or infertility struggles or IVF and just being on different sides of it, you know, like, especially going back to the adoption stuff, a lot of times we hear about the couples who can't have kids, but the birth mothers don't tend to have a voice in a lot of things. And so I really am glad I'll be able to share some insight on that side. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, along the lines of so much of this topics being secretive for so many people, one of the things I talked about in an episode a while ago was 
the power that you feel when you share something that you feel uncomfortable with or insecure about, or you share your biggest struggles, all of a sudden you have power in that situation. Like no one can take that from you versus Mm -hmm. like something being found out by someone else. And then it feels like you don't have power. So I love that you just put these things on social media and it's like, you have the power now you have the power because you have chosen to share and you get to choose how you share that, the perspective that you use within those stories. And that keeps you in the position of like writing the story and writing the ending to the stories. And I think that is so, so powerful. Thank you. Yeah, it's true. You know, what's tricky is that when you share stories like this, you know, in particular with my adoption is that it's my story, but it's also my daughter's story. And so it does become tricky when it's your story, but it's also someone else's story. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of care and timing of things when you start to share stories like this, because they do affect other people. And, you know, the main thing I try to come across when I'm sharing my story is that I'm sharing my perspective and my story that I don't want to step on anyone else's toes or their experience. And I did a podcast episode, just like FYI, like, before we get into it, I gave up my daughter for adoption and we have reconnected and we did a podcast where she was able to get on and I was able to actually ask her like what her experience was because, you know, of course I want to share my side, but I don't want to invalidate her experience and what that was like for her because it could have been completely different. And, you know, I don't know how it was for her, but I do really, really respect people in being able to share, but I also understand the reasons why a lot of people don't want to share because they're afraid of invalidating someone else's experience. And I think it's really important to know that we can always share our own experience as long as we are claiming that it's ours, you know, and it's not someone else's. Yeah. And I will say you did a beautiful job in both of those episodes when you shared your experience of giving up a baby and then you interviewed your daughter. And those two episodes, like, I think I messaged you as I was listening to them. Like literally you were like, so today we're talking about, you know, how I gave a baby. And I was like, Oh my God, I haven't even listened yet. And I'm already crying. (laughs) (laughs) So you did such a great job with both of those episodes of, like you said, being really careful and thoughtful in distinguishing your experience versus her experience and giving her a place to talk about her experience, which I thought was really, really incredible. And I know that that will impact so many people the way that you modeled that with, I think a lot of, like I said, care and thoughtfulness. So with that, let's go ahead and dive in. I know that one of the things that came up in our conversation when we were Instagram messaging, you said something about to the effect of like, whether you get to consider yourself a mom. And I was like, oh my gosh, you absolutely get to consider yourself a mom. And a ridiculously shameless mom, like sharing this story and owning this experience and all of it, I think is like the epitome of being a shameless mom. And I think motherhood can look like a million different things. And just because it doesn't look the way it might look for a lot of people doesn't mean that it negates it or like invalidates it at all. And so I want to start off with that, that this is your story of being a shameless mom. And I am so grateful that you're here to share it. So let's talk about your entrance into motherhood. What were the circumstances leading up to your pregnancy and some of the background with the relationship with your parents and those kinds of things? Because I know there was a lot of factors at play when this all happened. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. It's still, I mean, to this day, still a struggle, you know, like Mother's Day, my very first Mother's Day was one of the hardest days. Because (laughs) I remember, uh, well, first, I'll just go back and then I can tell you the Mother's Day story. But I grew up in a really strict religion where it was, you know, a sin to have sex before marriage, it was a sin to, you know, gamble, to drink coffee, to drink alcohol, you know, pretty much anything you could (laughs) think of was wrong. And, you know, I was really taught that, you know, in this religion, we were really like punished for sinning. So it wasn't like God was a forgiving God and a loving God, at least not the way that my family taught it to me. It was that, you know, you do something bad and you were like shamed and you would get in trouble. So, you know, one of the things that I learned early on was to lie. And I felt like it was safer to lie because I wouldn't get in trouble, right? My mom would say things like, you need to tell the truth. And I want you to tell the truth. And I remember she even would tell me, I want you to tell me everything. And I want you to be able to trust me. And I think all mothers want this. Like, we want to be able to have that conversation with our children. Like, look, Lynn, you know, if you go drinking, I want you to call me so you don't drive home drunk. Or if you're scared or you're meeting with boys, I want you to tell me. But then on the other hand, she would say things like, oh, you didn't kiss him, did you? And I'm going, well, you know, if you say it like that, I have any answer except no, right? right. Because it's like the way that 
it said to me is that I can already tell I'm in trouble if I say yes. So, you know, it was one of those things where there was just a lot of like saying one thing, but acting another way. So I never really knew what was right or what was the right way to respond. So I always just responded in the way that I thought I was supposed to respond, not in the way that was the truth, just the way that, you know, if there was a question asked, what's the answer that they're trying to get for me? And that's how I'm going to answer. So that being said, I had a cousin who had lived with us off and on. My aunt was always constantly in a abusive relationships and her, she had her son they would come live with us every time she got beat and there was one particular time she was beaten so bad that she was hospitalized and so my cousin came to live with us like more long term and he had lived with us early on and he had been sexually abusing me and then it probably been about three or four years since I'd seen him last and now we're he was in high school I was in middle school and he was coming to live with us again and my parents I begged for them to not allow him to stay with us and because I just felt like one, I was old enough to know what was going on. And I was really afraid of what he would do this time. Like maybe he would actually rape me. And I was really terrified of him. And so I kept saying, please don't let him stay with us. And they were just calling me selfish. And they were saying, you know, you have this house and we have the room. And I'm like, well, why can't he live with his dad? And they just pretty much told me that I needed to just be quiet and let him stay with us. And so I begged for them to at least put a lock on my door and they wouldn't let me do that. And so I really just lived in, he came to live with us. My parents worked. And so after school, we'd have hours alone together. And so I was so scared of coming home and being alone with him that I just started staying at school and sitting around until the late bus would come. And then I would leave and get home as late as possible. So I wouldn't ever have to be alone with him. And luckily nothing happened. There was a few comments that he made and things that he did to try to terrify me. Like he would make sexual comments and he drank blood in front of me and told me he would do things like, I don't know, he would talk about killing and he would just do things to try to terrify me. So during this time, I was just in constant like anxiety and fear and at the same time, felt very unprotected by my parents because I begged them to, you know, let me have some, I don't know, safety lock on the door and things like that. And so it was just this perfect storm of things. So that same year, my dad dropped the bomb on me that he wasn't my real dad. He literally in the car on the way to dropping me off at gymnastics just goes, uh, you know, I'm not your real dad, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> and he basically told me that he had mumps when he was younger and couldn't, didn't have high sperm count and that my parents used a sperm donor to conceive me. And then he dropped me off without any other explanation. And so oh by the time my, my practice was over, <laughs> by the time my practice was over, I was thinking about this the whole time I got home and then I was just crying in my room. Finally, I couldn't handle it. I ran into my mom's room. I woke her up and I said, mom, is dad my real dad? She's like, what? I said, yeah, you told me in the car that you guys had a sperm donor. And she just goes, go to your room. Oh and gosh. I'm like, oh, great. I'm in trouble. Again, I'm in trouble, right? This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. So finally, like 20 minutes later, she comes in and she said, yes, this is true. He was never supposed to tell you. I'm so angry at him. And I go, well, who is it? And she goes, we don't know. It was anonymous. And I go, do you have any records? Do you know what, like, what he looked like? She said, no, we don't know anything. And then she said, we never tell the plan on telling you. And I said, well, is my brother the same donor? She said, no. And she goes, well, we're not going to tell him. Oh, my gosh. Then it was never talked about again. So it was basically like, we don't know where you came from. We're not going to talk about this. Let's pretend this never happened and shut the door. And I think that was my first real big bout of depression. I remember for like, and this was during the summer, so I didn't have school. And I stayed in bed for nearly three days just crying. And I kept looking in the mirror and wondering like why I looked the way I look. And of course I created this story about where I came from, which was like, well, who does, and this is pre-internet of course too. So I'm like, well, who would be donating sperm? And all I could think of was that it's gonna be somebody who's jerking off for drug money because they need money, right? Like a homeless person who needs to get a drug fix and they need money. So they're going to this clinic and doing it. And that, that was my story. And so I felt that I had this disgusting father who was a drug addict who needed money for drugs and that if God didn't want my parents to have kids, then they shouldn't have had children and they went around like with screwing around with science and I shouldn't even be here. And then I had my you know cousin there who made me feel like I'm 13 and I'm starting to develop and of course like learning about sex and I'm thinking all I'm good for is my body. So it was just like this whole thing of just this horrible self-esteem. I don't know I'm here. I shouldn't be here. I'm only good for one thing. And it was like this massive just self-hatred and disgust and just this spiral into this massive depression. And again, at the same time, like I said, perfect storm. My gymnastics, I was in gymnastics and my coaches started weighing us. They decided that everybody who was basically going through puberty that we needed to keep an eye on our weight And so, you know, I'd seen something on like a talk show about eating disorders and bulimia and anorexia. And so I just decided to try one of those. And since I wasn't really good at starving myself, I started throwing up. And so I just really turned down this massive like eating disorder, cutting, depression. And I ended up meeting this boy in ninth grade who seemed also pretty depressed. (laughs) And so we flocked toward each other. And interestingly enough about him, his name was Danny also. He had gone to like this, I want to say like, it's kind of behavioral health clinic, a mental health clinic. I called it the loony bin. (laughs) But he went there and he had come out with like a lot of really great, I guess, tools and perspective and something that I needed. And so, you know, he saw something in me that I didn't really see in myself. And he knew that I was super suicidal and he was constantly like lifting me up. We had sex because at this point I decided that, I don't know, I was just worthless and I didn't care what I did to my body. And I had started drinking and within the religion, it was like, it was like, once I do one thing, I might as well do it all. Right. So I was just at the point where I'm like, well, I'm going to hell anyway. I might as well do everything. Right. And so 
needless to say, we only had sex a few times, and it was one time without a condom and pull out and pray, which apparently doesn't always work. <laughs> this um, is totally like exactly what every parent says. Like it only takes one time. I know people tell me they pull out. I was like, look, pulling out oh. can work, but it only takes one. Right. <laughs> literally, literally only once. Yeah. So it was just a few weeks after I was just having this massive, I don't know, like breakdown. And I was telling my mom I wanted to kill myself. And mm-hmm. I said, if you don't take me to like, take me somewhere I'm going to. And she was just like, you're not crazy. I mean, we got in this huge blow up fight. And she's like, you're not crazy. And she didn't want to take me in. And I said, you have to, or I'm going to kill myself. And I don't think she believed me. So she took me to a clinic and they talked to me for a few minutes. And they basically said, we're going to take your daughter in inpatient. And I don't think she believed that I needed to be, but they put me on high suicide watch. And I ended up being there for about a month. And so while I was there, of course, when they do their intake, they do all these tests on you, HIV and drug tests to see what you're on. And they apparently do a pregnancy test. And so I wasn't late yet. I think I'm supposed to start my period right around then. And the second day I was there, I went into my doctor's office and he said, hey, we want to let you know that your pregnancy test is positive. And I just blurted out, well, I'm having an abortion. I mean, zero thought to it. One, I didn't even think I was pregnant. Two, I was like, well, duh, I'm going to kill myself anyway. So, of course, I'm going to have an abortion. And the doctor just said, okay. He goes, do you want to tell your parents? And I was like, no way. You know, they don't need to know. And in the state of Nevada, they don't need a consent and they didn't need to know. So, I didn't feel like there was any reason to tell them. And my relationship with them had deteriorated so bad over the course of those two years. So my cousin at this point had left. I finally did tell them what happened. Their reaction wasn't the greatest, but they did end up having him move out about eight months later. But at that point, you know, my damage to my mind and the things I had been doing was just done, right? The depression and the eating disorder was in full force and all of the self-hatred was just piling up. And so, yeah, I decided to do an abortion. I called my boyfriend and he agreed. And I made plans with some of the guys in the clinic that when I got out, they were going to give me the money and I was going to get a ride and everything was set. And that was really the plan. And I had no qualms about it. I had no remorse about it. I literally felt that, you know, at least as far as the religion goes, having sex was next to murder anyway. So, and I was going to commit suicide. So like all of the things I was going to hell no matter what I did. So like, this was just one more thing in like the nail in the coffin kind of thing. And It's crazy to talk about now because I feel like I'm talking about somebody totally different than myself. But this is the place where I was at and it was very dark. And I got out of this clinic and my parents were going to talk to some another place about sending me to this eating disorder clinic. It was like a year long program. And so we ended up meeting with these psychiatrists and social workers. And so they put my parents in one room to talk to the like main people about what the program was. And they put me in another room with this girl named Heather. And so she and I started talking and she expressed how she had been abused by her brother and her brother's friend. She had been raped and she was probably 27 at the time. I'm not really sure, but she had two children and she said that she ruined her body from her eating disorder. She was anorexic for years and she couldn't have any more kids. And for whatever reason, just blurted out of my mouth, I want you to have my baby. And in the back of my head, I'm like, wait, no, I literally had an appointment for an abortion like the next day or two days later. It was already set up. It was ready to go. And she's like, what? And I said, yeah, I want you to have my baby. And she goes, are you serious? And I'm just like, I'm saying it. And I'm also in my head going, what the hell are you talking about? Right, right. And it was my voice, but it wasn't me. And it's so hard to explain like where this came from. And I just can't really explain it other than it just, it didn't come from me. And so she and I, like I said, yes, I wanted her to. And she cried and I cried and I was like, I felt so good about it. And I went home and I called my boyfriend and I said, hey, guess what? I told this woman I want her to have our baby. And he goes, okay. And so that was kind of the plan. I didn't tell my mom and dad about it. They didn't really know what was going on. (laughs) And what happened was around four months pregnant and I had found out at this point I was having a little girl. Heather called me crying and she said, we can't adopt your baby because it's going to cost $50,000 for private adoption and we just don't have the money. And I'm like, well, now it's way too late for an abortion. 
And I have no idea, you know, what I'm going to do. And it's one of the biggest... Did your parents know at that point? Yeah, they did. My counselors just convinced me to tell my parents and my mom flipped out. My dad was pretty disappointed, but he was also pretty calm about it. My mom had a conniption fit and screamed and threw stuff and we had a big fight. But ultimately, you know, they didn't want me to have an abortion, of course, because of the religion. And they were really trying to get me to do adoption, at least initially. And so I remember just screaming at them saying, there's no way I'm going to have this baby get fat because of course this eating disorder have a baby and not know where she is not or you know I didn't know at the time but at the time I think adoption was like you would have the baby never see it never know where they were and and I was like there's no way I'm doing that there's no way I'm going to go through all of that ruin my body and not know what happens to the child and of course they were begging me to go this route and I was adamant about not doing it and especially adamant about not ruining you know, not getting fat and all of that. And that was all before you. And then you talked to Heather after that. Yeah. Then I talked to Heather after that. So now I'm four months along and I don't even remember if I told my parents about Heather. I'm not even sure. I really wouldn't communicate much, you know, with them about what was happening. We were just, you know, of course they wanted me to keep the baby. They didn't want me to have an abortion. I didn't tell them right away about Heather. Of course I must've told them something later because by four months, you know, we had gone to the doctors and stuff. My mom was taking me to my appointments, but I don't think I had really told her exactly what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so they were still trying to get me to do adoption. And then they suggested that they raise the baby as my sister and my mom be her mom. And I was like, no, Oh my gosh, more family secrets. How about more family (laughs) secrets? That would be amazing. (laughs) I was like, first off, I don't even want you as my mom. I'm not going to raise my kid as my mom. And I'm not going to raise this child as my sister. Like it just, was too much ridiculousness. So it's interesting because once I finally decided to keep her or not have an abortion, it was like everybody and their mom came out of the woodwork. Like, I know somebody who can't have a baby. I know someone who can't have a baby. And I was like going, oh my gosh, I feel like I have a piece of meat. And wow. they were coming out of the woodwork. Nobody really asked if I was going to keep the baby myself or not. They just were like, assuming since I was a kid that I wasn't going to be able to keep it myself. So I should just be giving the baby away to them. And, you know, it felt so terrible. I just was so upset because, you know, nobody actually took the baby into account. It wasn't like about the child. It was about, well, I know somebody who can't have a baby, so you should give it to them. I know somebody. And I'm like, great. Everybody knows someone who can't have a baby. That doesn't mean that they just deserve a baby because they can't have a baby. Right. Just because I'm having one doesn't mean I'm giving it away to you. And so it was so terrible. I didn't want, actually, I didn't even want to tell anybody what I was doing. And I wasn't even certain at this point because the original adoption came fell through. I didn't know, you know, what I was going to do. If I was going to keep her, the one thing I didn't know was that I was afraid if I kept her that I would have to live at home for a long time mm. and not having such a great relationship with my parents. And so the fear of having to live with my parents past the age of 18, you know, was terrifying. And the thought of having my mom try to parent her was terrifying. And all the options were terrifying. Having the baby, getting fat, doing all the things that I, you know, didn't want to do. Like, obviously, none of this was ideal. And then to top it off with everybody and their mom saying that they knew somebody who couldn't have a kid and just thinking that maybe they should be able to like have rights to my baby was just absurd. You know, I had some next door neighbors and we grew up with that couldn't have kids. They've been trying to adopt for years. And so I think they were offended. My neighbor actually told me later that he was upset that I didn't pick him. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't want my daughter raised next door to me. Right. You know, raising as my sister is one weird thing. And then raising as my next door neighbor is another weird thing. So there were so many things that just people, I think, you know, they don't understand that there's, many humans, (laughs) right? Like one, me being the human carrying this child into the child. And it was just pretty awful. And so I ultimately went to see this social worker that the office that I had originally gone to, to meet Heather. And I don't even know how I got in contact with her, but I wanted to talk to her about adoption. What are the other options? I said, here's the thing. I cannot have this baby and just give her away and not know where she's going. And she said, well, luckily 
today they have something called semi-open adoption. So before it was closed, you know, you the baby would be born, you would never see him. And after that, you like, you don't know where they are, you don't know anything. And I was like, I can't do that. And she said, well, today you can choose the parents. What the semi-open looks like is that you get pictures and letters every month until she's one. And then every year on her birthday until she's three. And then after that, no contact. And you're able to choose her parents. And I remember going home from that meeting feeling like this is the answer. Like I can do this. If I can choose her parents and I know where she's going to go and I have some control over what kind of family she's with, then I can feel some kind of peace with my decision. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And so that's what I did. And so my boyfriend and I would go after school nearly every day just to go read profiles. You know, at the time, it probably would be online now. But, you know, we picked a few things. Like, we narrowed things down. Like, we wanted them to have a college education. We wanted them to live in... I believe we picked either Oregon or California just because we had an idea of what those states were like that we wanted. We wanted them to already have a child because we wanted her to have siblings. And then after that, it was narrowing down from there, you know, reading letters and going through family after family after family. And there was one particular time at school that I had just decided and I was feeling really good about it. And this girl was asking me something in the hallway and she goes, she said something about me taking the baby home. And I said, actually, I think I'm going to give her up for adoption. And she just yelled at me. She goes, why would you do that? She's like, that's, you should have just had an abortion. Then you're (gasps) throwing the baby away. It's the same thing. Oh my gosh. And I remember I didn't cry at the time, but I felt so sick to my stomach. And I'm like, I'm never telling anyone again. I'm never telling anybody what I'm doing. If anybody asks, I just really wouldn't answer. But the thought that it's the same thing that I'm just throwing my baby away, it just, devastated me because I definitely knew it was not. It was so much harder. (laughs) I mean, I can't say it's harder. Like I haven't had the experience of an abortion, but for at least in my circumstance at the time, it was harder. You know, people, an abortion, you can go and nobody notices. Nobody sees you. When you're a pregnant teenager, everybody can tell you're a teenager. Everybody can see very well that you're pregnant. And so there's a lot of judgment. You know, I go to the store and get dirty looks by adults and you know, people would whisper and there's so many things that, you know, and even for my boyfriend, I'm like, yeah, he can get away with it. Nobody yeah. can see that, he, but everybody can see that I am. So I look like the slutty one, or I look like the one who did something where I knew if I had just had an abortion, nobody would have known a damn thing. Right. And so when she said that to me, you're just throwing your baby away. It's just, it shut me up. Mm. And I ended up deciding not to go back to that school the next year. So I never had to talk about it. I never had to answer to where the baby was. And I just kind of created a new life after that. But ultimately, it was probably the day she was due. 
we finally found a family. We hadn't really settled on anybody yet. And I was freaking out because I was due at any moment and we still didn't have anybody picked out. And we finally did her due date. And luckily she was five days late and we met them. And I remember being so terrified. I'm like, what if I don't like them? And I changed my mind. (laughs) And it wasn't about her changing my mind. I think I was ready and I knew that there was no way she could be with us, but I was worried, what if we picked the wrong people? And then I had to re-decide. And, you know, there's a lot of well-intentioned people, I'm sure too, but who would tell me, don't look at her, don't hold her, you're going to get attached and you're going to change your mind. I thought that was just the worst advice because I had made my decision and I wanted to hold her and I wanted to spend time with her and I wanted to be with her. And I'm so glad I did. I would have regretted not. But luckily we had about a week with her. I took a little bit because it was an out-of-state adoption and had some complications at the delivery. So I was in the hospital for extra days. So she was in the hospital with me. But it was by far the hardest thing I'd ever gone through for all, you know, so many reasons, but the eating disorder, the people pulling at me, the judgment of the adults, you know, and actually in the delivery room, right after I had her a nurse, she goes, were you using birth control? Obviously not. It wouldn't have happened. Well, when you get out of here, we have a free birth control clinic. You can get it when you leave. And I was like, you're going to say this to me while I just like, I literally just delivered She says, obviously not, or this wouldn't have happened. I mean, there are just so many things that happened during that time that made me feel like the worst human on the planet. And it kills me because I think birth mothers do make one of the hardest decisions. Absolutely. And I can't speak for all of them, but tend to be treated like they're just the machine to get the baby here and then start it after. That's such an interesting point. And that everything that you said about the judgment that you have to go through, because like you said, an abortion, no one would have to know. No, no, there would be no visible evidence of anything. And for the dad, there's no visible evidence of anything. So for you to have that visible piece of it, to obviously be in the middle of the situation where you can't hide it from people and to have to endure all those comments, I can't imagine. And to be so young, it's not like you're like 42 and have like wisdom and ex- life experience behind you. You're, I mean, that's like, I can't imagine being able to manage that, manage those kinds of interactions as a 15. You, how old were you, 15? Yeah, I was 15 when I got pregnant. I was 16 by the time I had her. I cannot imagine managing that. I'm just thinking back to like at that time. I mean, I couldn't handle it if like someone I babysat for like told me I did the dishes wrong or something. So like managing that kind of criticism was like more than I could handle. So I can't imagine the criticism that you were enduring and people commenting on your judgment or your experience or your choices, all that. I mean, that's just beyond. One of the things I wanted to touch on is, you know, I think that you can't imagine what something is like until you're in it. And that's one of the things that makes it so easy for people to casually judge and comment on things, I think. But the input that people gave you about not holding her or like not, you know, just really disconnecting as quickly as possible. And I thought that was so interesting when I listened to you talk about this on your own podcast that you did spend time holding her. And there was this period of time before the adoption took place And I've actually known multiple people who've had stillborn babies. And I remember one woman in particular, a good friend of mine had stillborn twins. And she said that they were told that they should do pictures before Mm -hmm. the babies, before the medical staff took the babies. And she thought it was like this big, like commercial. She's like, I can't believe they're trying to like help these photographers make money right now when my baby's just, you know, I'm like holding dead babies. And then she said later that, she was so grateful and she saw it so differently. And she's like, oh my gosh, like those photos are such a gift. And she couldn't see that at all at the time. And so I'm wondering like that time that you spent with your daughter, I think that's so cool that you didn't listen to people, that you followed your gut. And during that time, what were your emotions? Like, did you have moments of maybe I should try to do this on my own or maybe my mom was right and she should try to raise her or were you very set the whole time that like, no, I'm, this is my time and that I'm going to be ready to give her up when it's time? I don't know if I was really set, but I did feel that it was so crazy. I mean, you don't know. I never wanted to have kids. I was never one of those people that just was like, when I grew up, I want to be a mom. So I don't ever feel like I had a big maternal instinct, which I think was also why I didn't have an issue with the thought of abortion either. Mm -hmm. And I was 
shocked by the amount of like love and how perfect I thought she was and how much I felt like I remember saying to my boyfriend I was like I might have done so many things I'm gonna cry (laughs) so many things wrong in my life but this is the one thing I know I did right and I was really taken aback by how like perfect she was and it gave me a perspective of from myself I guess of going you know, we all must have come here like this. And it gave me a lot of ways to look at myself and go, you know, maybe I'm not so fucked up, actually. Mm. Like, I came here just as innocent as she came here. And I felt so protective of her. The main thing I thought was she didn't ask to be born in the situation. And I guess that's what in a way I felt this kind of connection with her in that, you know, when I found out about my birth situation, I remember thinking, I didn't ask to be born, right? Like, I didn't Mm -hmm. ask to be here. My parents made me be here, basically. Mm -hmm. And I just felt that she didn't ask to be born. She didn't ask to be in this situation. She came here completely by, quote, unquote, accident, although I don't really believe that it was an accident at all. And so it was more of this, I owe it to her to give her the best opportunity. And I knew that if... I kept her, it wasn't going to be best for her or for me. And mostly it wasn't going to be best for her. Like she didn't have to be brought into this. And because everything was so shitty at my house, because my mom and I were arguing all the time and because of all the stuff that was happening, I felt like I was saving her by getting her out of there. And so it was never really a thought of, can I do it? It was almost like I have to save her. I don't know, like the story of Moses, but I can kind of relate to that mom of just like putting the baby in the river and just like, because I felt like that was the best thing. It wasn't about me at that point. It wasn't about me at all. So you had that week with her and then you were able to transition to her, the parents who raised her. Mm -hmm. What was after that? So you had gone into this prior to being pregnant with her, suicidal, like no self-esteem, depressed, all these things. How did that all shift after she was born? Yeah, so course, while I was pregnant, I still was dealing with the eating disorder stuff. And, you know, my boyfriend, although we were teenagers, I think he should get so much credit for helping me through a lot of this stuff. You know, he would just encourage me to like eat. And then I would call him afterwards and make sure I wouldn't throw up because he was concerned about the baby. And during my last, uh, not even last, I'd say like from seven months or six months on, I was showing about seven months. I wasn't showing really early. I couldn't stand looking in the mirror. So I taped up paper in my bathroom from the neck down. So I could only do my hair in the mirror and I wouldn't look at my body. I was just like, I couldn't look at myself. I didn't want to have anything to do with what was happening from the neck down. Mm -hmm. It was just like difficult. And I was trying to just get through it and make sure that I was eating and make sure that I was taking care of the baby. And so it was a struggle that part was a struggle. And then when she was born, I literally had this moment of, oh my God, if I kill myself now, what if she grows up and she's asking questions about where she came from and asking about her birth mom and she finds out that I committed suicide and she thinks it's because she was born. Mm. And because her birth was like a magical thing to me and So I think honestly, the thing that kept me alive, that it was like complete opposite, you know, if anything, I was like, this was the one thing I should live for. Mm -hmm. And so I had to make a decision. And I really made a decision right then. I was like, I have to find something to do. It was so funny. But literally, I think in my journal, I have to find something to do. Because I thought I can't kill myself now. There's no way I can't let her think that she is the cause of it. So we are going to pause right here for right now and save the rest of Danny's story until next week. We could not cram it all into one hour. So you get two hours. You're welcome. So make sure you come back next week to see how all of this ends up getting resolved and what Danny's life is like today as a shameless mom and as someone who has now met her biological sperm donor father and many of her siblings by that father 
you're going to be blown away to hear everything else that Danny has to say about these life experiences. And I cannot wait to share the rest of the story with you next week. So make sure you pop back for the follow-up part two of this interview at that time. Thank you so much for spending time with me today in the Shameless Mom Academy. I really, really appreciate you being here. If this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you get all episodes as soon as they're released and you never miss an episode. You can do that by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will drop you into Apple Podcasts where you can click on the little subscribe button. While you're there, please also rate and review the show. Let me know what you loved. Let me know in what way you are a shameless mom. And remember, shameless mom of the week nominations come from our reviews. So if you want to be nominated, you got to leave a review. So make sure you leave a review over at shamelessmom.com forward slash review. And lastly, share this episode with other shameless moms in your lives. The way the show grows and the way we build our community is by you all spreading the word. So take a screenshot of this episode, share it on social media, tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Instagram or Facebook. I will make sure I reply as quickly as I possibly can, sending you lots of loves and shout outs. And I can't wait to connect with you there. Until next time, have a great day. And remember, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us, 